Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Most of you have heard this verse before, right? Most of you maybe even can recite this verse by heart, right? You have it. It's there. You've said it to yourself over and over. You have it memorized. For many, this verse has been an encouragement to keep on, an encouragement that what you are doing is not in vain. Young parents latch on to this proverb often with the hope that their training will ensure the faithfulness of their children. But on the flip side, for many others, reading these words may cause heads to drop a little. You see, some in this room may find themselves in the thick of an ongoing struggle with a rebellious teenager. Others have watched adult children completely reject the Christian faith in spite of everything they've done to lead them to Christ. Many of these moms and dads are already carrying a heavy, debilitating burden of guilt and shame. With or without cause, they blame themselves for the spiritual waywardness of their children and assume full responsibility for the unfortunate choices their children have made. There are many families in this room today who raised their children in Christian homes, in homes that read the Bible together, prayed together, went to church together, went on mission trips together, and now their kids have grown into adults that love God with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their strength, and they're now raising their kids to do the same. But there are other moms and dads in this room who have done the same thing, who've raised their kids in a Christian home, who taught their kids to read the Bible, who sang songs together, who went on mission trips together, who served together. The kids are no longer wanting anything to do with Jesus Christ or anything to do with the church. Adults who despise the church. Adults who are far from Jesus and are perfectly fine with that. So what does the Bible really mean then when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it? We have some in this room who've seen these words ring true in their lives, the lives of their kids, but also, as we mentioned before, some who've seen the opposite come true. It's important that we figure out what this verse is really saying because getting this proverb wrong leads to wrong conclusions about parenting, training, and the hearts of our kids. As we dive into this verse, we have to, as a detective kind of would, look for clues all around us as we're looking for the meaning. And the first obvious big clue here is that these words are written as a part of the book of Proverbs. And the vast majority of Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. And we know from 1 Kings that God had given Solomon remarkable wisdom, great insight and understanding as vast as sand on the seashore. He was wiser than anyone. 
He spoke 3,000 proverbs, over 1,000 songs. People from all over the earth came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. This guy knew what he was talking about. He was a wise guy, but in a good way. I know a lot of wise guys in a bad way. Anyway, so now, so looking at one of his wise sayings, one of the Proverbs, we need to know exactly what a proverb is. Here are some things we should know and remember. First, most proverbs are general truths about the way the world normally works. Most proverbs are general truths about the way the world normally works. We can look at this proverb and see that that's the case. We can look at examples from families that we know and see that this is true. Generally, if you raise up your child in a home that reads the Bible together, that prays together, that goes to church together, that lives out their faith together in the home, that serves together, normally your children will not depart from these things. Normally, in that situation, your child grows up to have a real, lasting relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's not always the case. Generally, yes. Normally, yes, but not always. Secondly, most Proverbs are not specific promises that cover every possible situation. Some Proverbs talk about hard work paying off and laziness leading to poverty. Well, that's generally true. But the proverb assumes there are some exceptions. You may know hardworking people trapped in cycles of poverty, or lazy people with inherited wealth, or children who grew up in a Christian home who now want nothing to do with God. Proverbs are not specific promises for everyone. They do not cover every possible situation and outcome. So with that being the case, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-six is not a statement of absolute promise, but rather a statement of probability. Some parents have tried their best to follow the words of this proverb, but without the result. Their children had strayed from the godly training the parents gave them. This illustrates the nature of the proverb. Proverbs are generally and usually true. Occasionally, exceptions can be noted. This may be because of self-will or deliberate disobedience of an individual who chooses to go his own way, the way of folly instead of the way of wisdom. For that, he or she is held responsible. It is generally true, however, that most kids who are brought up in Christian homes under the influence of godly parents follow this training. So, for this specific verse and application then, it's crucial that we remember you cannot control your child's relationship with God. Even in our best efforts, we have to remember that we cannot save our children. Only Jesus can save our kids. It's not our job to save but constantly point them to the one who can save them. We cannot force salvation onto our children. Instead, we ought to recognize that all of our efforts at training children in the way need the power of the Spirit. We present God's Word and its beauty and glory and then pray for the Spirit to soften hearts. 
We can put children in a posture to receive God's saving grace, but our training, our parenting, is not to be confused with that grace. To switch the truth, to switch our training, our parenting, and God's grace is to put on ourselves a burden we cannot carry. Only God can save. Not us. But that is not an excuse to sit idly by and do nothing. Well, only God can save. Uh, Nothing I can do, right? Uh, It's out of my hands. God will save them if he wants to. I can just sit back and I don't have to read the Bible stories to them or pray with them or do any of that. I can't do anything. I can't save them anyway. We'll just let, let God and the church handle all that. Yes, the saving part is out of our hands, but just as you had a choice to make concerning your own salvation, your child has a choice to make, and it's your responsibility as a parent to share with them, teach them, demonstrate to them all the truths they need to make the right choice. No, we cannot force them to make the right choice, but you can provide them with the truth and knowledge of God to prepare them to accept Jesus Christ, the only one who can save, as their Lord and Savior. I remember once I was staying at my mama's house. You've heard me maybe bitching uh, mama before. This is my walking time. Heard me mention Mama before. I grew up spending a lot of time with my grandmother. Uh, I can credit her uh, with making me the size that I am. Um, Because she was a great cook, right? Amazing cook. Everything from scratch. But anyway, I remember this one day I was staying at her house, and it was just me and her. And in their dining room, they have a fireplace. And the fireplace came out a few feet from the, the wall there. And there was a gap between the fireplace and the other wall, about, about this big. Now today, there's no possible way I'm fitting in that gap, right? But as a kid, I thought that, hey, this is going to be a perfect hiding spot. Normally, my grandma, my mama, would have a plant right there. So I decided to move that plant, squeeze in in that little spot there, squat down, pull the plant in front of me, and sit as quietly as I, go, as I could. I was going to play hide and seek. Problem is, I didn't tell my grandma I was going to hide, right? So after a few minutes, she's looking for me. She looks in the back bedroom where we normally are, watching TV or hanging out, and I'm not there. She checks the bathroom, and I'm not there either. So now you can sense a little, a little frantic there. Yes, yelling my name, Tully, where are you? Hey, where are you? So it gets a little more frantic when I don't answer. Goes outside, checks outside in the front porch on the backyard, just checking all over the place, cannot find me. And I am sitting quietly still. And surprisingly for a big kid, I could hide pretty well. Now she's upset, right? And now it's middle name time. No, it's Tully Dwayne Ferguson. If you do not come out right now, I'm going to go outside, I'm going to get a switch, and you're going to get a spanking, right? People get spankings with switches still. Anyway, I I did. Um, Anyway, didn't move. Didn't come out. Stayed still. Oh, and now 
She didn't know what to do. To the point where she's in tears, crying, and I am still hiding. So she calls my mom, who's at work, and says, Renee, I, I don't know, I, Tully is hiding somewhere in this house, I hope, and he will not answer me or come out. She was honestly scared that I had gotten a hold of something I should not have gotten a hold of and choked or drank something, poison or something, and fallen somewhere and gotten hurt, and she and I was just in trouble. And still I didn't move. Until mom came in the door. Um, <laughs> and mom having to leave work early and getting there, within, within a few seconds, I was no longer hiding anymore. I was out, and I was getting a spanking with more than just a switch. Anyway, um, <laughs> the point is, the entire time I was in hiding, I could hear Mama's voice. She continued to present me with the truth that if I did not come out, I would get a spanking. Truth that my mom was on the way, and I was going to be in trouble if I did not come out. But I chose not to listen to that truth. I chose to stay in hiding. Even when she was in tears, I stayed hiding. She could not force me to come out. I had to come out on my own. You can present truth over and over and over to your children. And they may hear it every time, but never choose to really listen. You can't force them to listen. You can make them hear. When it comes to the gospel, you can't force them to listen, to really listen and grasp the truth and step out into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They have to come out on their own. But as you're waiting and praying for that to happen, sometimes in tears, keep in mind that the final chapter of their story has yet to be written. I know for some of you, you have adult children who want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the truth that you taught them when they were kids. The final chapter of their story has yet to be written. God is able to use their youthful errors to teach them valuable lessons and bring them at last to a place of humility and repentance. This is evident from the examples of many biblical characters, such as Jacob, the brothers of Joseph, and Jonah. So if you're in a situation where your children are far from God, don't lose hope. Keep teaching, keep praying for the salvation, keep demonstrating God's love. God can save even the most wayward of children. From the clues that we've looked around about this proverb, we can see that it's meant to be understood that train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it is a general truth, not a specific promise. It's a truth that normally comes to pass, but not always. It's an absolute it's not absolute, but highly probable. We 
We cannot save our children, but it's our responsibility to raise them the way God intends and constantly point them to the one who can save them. So how do we do that? How do we constantly point our kids to Christ? How do we train our children the way God intends? Well, let's quickly, quickly, quickly go over some ways to raise. This is not an encompassing, all-encompassing list. There are many things that you need to teach your children. I do not have time to cover every single one of those things today if you want to be out of here today. Um, So, I'm going to hit just a few quick ones for you here. So number one way to raise your children the way God intends is to teach them to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart, in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on the city gates. Training up children in the way they should go means first and foremost directing them to their Savior. Now here I am assuming that you already love God. I'm assuming that you already have a relationship with God, that you have already gone to God through Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, asked for forgiveness, accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's impossible to lead your kids to truly love God if you don't love God yourself. To raise your kids the right way, you must have a relationship with God. You must have a relationship with God. If you do not, that's the first step. Parenting is hard enough, but it is impossible to raise your children the right way without the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, assuming you've done that, here are some ways to teach your kids to love God through Bible reading. I remember when my kids were babies, feeding them a bottle. They had to prepare the bottle for them, make sure that everything was either mixed correctly or warmed up correctly, making sure everything was the right temperature, make sure the bottle stayed in their mouth, making sure you stayed awake while the bottle was in their mouth, making sure to burp them afterwards. It's a lot of work, especially at two in the morning. So I was excited to move on from bottles and move on to baby food. But little did I know that that was a lot of work too. Making sure to give my children a baby-sized bite instead of a man-sized bite. That didn't usually turn out very well. Making sure I didn't leave the baby food container within arm's reach of the baby. The messes that would happen even still. The cleanup afterwards was a lot of work. But that never stopped me from feeding my kids. Even though I knew it wasn't going to be easy, even though I knew that most of the time it was going to be a mess, it didn't stop me from feeding them. Feeding children is tough. It's not easy. It's a progression that doesn't happen overnight. In the same way, teaching your kids to read the Bible is tough, but oh so rewarding. 
You are not starting off handing the Bible to your two-year-old, saying, okay, I expect this to be read by the end of the week. No. The Bible would have pages missing when you came back. Maybe half the pages were eaten off. I'm not sure why they're eating pages, but they are. And there's coloring now all in your, your book, and now your Bible is a picture book, right? It's a slow process. You start off reading just a few verses to them, then a few more verses, then a few more verses. Then you may go back to just a few verses as the time comes for them to read some of these on their own. And some of those words are difficult. I still have trouble with a lot of those words, especially Old Testament names. But you help and you keep moving forward. It's tough work, but you don't stop. A few more verses, a few more verses. And before you realize it, your child has started to move from milk to meat. They are learning not just to eat what is fed to them, but now to kind of prepare the meal themselves, to taste and savor in the richness of God's word, digest it. It doesn't happen overnight. If I tried to give my newborn baby food, right, baby food, even though it's pretty liquidy most of the time, it's all mashed up. But even then, a newborn can't even handle baby food. They need milk. It's a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. There'll be a lot of mess along the way. But it's worth it to see them eating on their own. Teach your children how to read the Word of God. Quickly. Secondly, through prayer. Once again, old Mama's house and Papa, I remember staying with them. And every night we'd stay with them, they'd have us come into their bedroom and we'd kneel down around their bed and pray together. Even as my grandparents were older and it was difficult for them to get down on the floor, they would still kneel down around the bed and we would pray together. And they would pray for everybody. Pray for all their kids by name, all their grandkids by name church people by name, their mailman by name. They would pray for everybody. That is where I learned to pray. Did I learn about prayer in Sunday school? Yeah, I did. Did I learn about prayer at church? Absolutely. But seeing it demonstrated by my grandparents really taught me how to pray, really showed me what it was like to go before God and pray. What are your kids learning about prayer from you? That it's important or that it's non-existent? Teaching kids how to pray is of the utmost importance. Prayer helps to bring God into the present day, bring God kind of from the pages of the Bible to now in their life. They're actually talking to him. Over time, your children will learn from what they hear from your prayers will gradually form their own concept of prayer. Hearing their parents pray helps teach your children humility, submission, and dependency on God. Pray with your children when there's a crisis. Pray with your kids when you're thankful. Pray when you see a desperate need. Pray always. And at first, they may pray for their neighbor's pet mouse or pray for the cartoon character from the TV but let them pray as well. Because what they're learning in those stages is that they can literally go to God about everything. And God is listening. God cares. 
help them to build that relationship and love for God. So now, the Bible reading, the prayer can help your kids grow to love God also through living it out. Proverbs 22 was written before the printing press was invented, I'm pretty sure. I'm not great on dates, but pretty sure. The Old Testament saints don't have a personal Bible most of the time, or even a family Bible. For them, train up wasn't merely reading the Bible, but was more watch me love, hear me as I tell you how to live and repent. Hear me as I tell you the things that God had done in my life. Do your kids know what God has done in your life? Have you told them about the times that God was there for you when no one else was? Have you told them about the times where you just really messed things up, but God was there to offer you forgiveness? Have you told them about the times, hey, we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills this month, but God provided. Have you told them specifically about the things God has done in your life? You see, this verse doesn't just mean the big things, the Bible reading and the prayer. Those are important. Absolutely. You should do those things. But this verse is also talking about the little things, so to speak. Things like demonstrating, demonstrating self-control. Not really a little thing, is it? Asking for forgiveness from your spouse or from your kids when you've wronged them. In reality, those are probably the harder things to do. Getting our family Devo time in at the dinner table and then checking out for the duration of the evening is not Proverbs 22. I'm not saying that Bible reading, Bible memorization, family worship, regular church attendance are unimportant. All of these things are extremely important. But at the same time, if, you ever, if all they ever see from you is going to church a couple times a month, occasionally reading your Bible, and you pray before meals as long as you're not in public, then what they are seeing from you is a dead faith. Your kids need to see you live out your faith. They need to see a faith in you that is alive and active. It doesn't mean perfection. Your kids can learn just as much about God and faith in your failures as they can in your successes. It's about how you handle your failure. Are you asking for forgiveness? Are you repenting if you need to repent? Demonstrate that to your kids. Don't just tell them they need to do it. Let them see you do it. Live out your faith in front of your kids. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, pray together. But also live out your faith. And three of these things go hand in hand in hand. You need all three. Taking one of these areas away leads to a dry faith. Quickly, we're going to fly through some of these next ones real quick, but I don't want you to have empty blanks because I know some of you, OCD, and you got your bulletin, and like, Tully didn't give me the words for this blank. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to make up something, teach them to love chicken there. I don't know. Okay. Teach them to love their spouse. Teach them to love their spouse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, submit to your husbands. It is fitting to the Lord. 
One of the best things you can do for your children and your grandchildren is to teach them, teach your child how to love their future spouse. And how are they going to know that? They're going to look at you and look how you love your spouse. God designed the task of bearing and raising children to be accomplished in the power of his Holy Spirit within the bonds of a faithful, loving, lifelong marriage. Marriage then requires three people, man, woman, and Jesus Christ. God supplies the power that makes marriage work. Teach these truths to your children. Teach them what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. If all they see is you complain about your spouse constantly, call your spouse names, not help and serve your spouse in a godly way, why would they ever want to be a part of something like that? Show your children what a godly marriage looks like. Let your kids see you light up when your spouse walks to the door. Snuggle, kiss, hold hands. Show them what it means to bind yourself to one person who's more special to you than anyone else in the world. I'm not saying fake it. Once again, I'm not telling you to be perfect. Let your kids see you ask forgiveness from one another when you need to. Let them see how you handle being angry with one another in a way that still honors God. Marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And our own selfishness can often complicate that commitment. Sometimes we get angry and we hurt the people we promised God we would love the most. Children need to see how you deal with anger and hurt within the bonds of marriage. They can learn that marriage is God's good good gift to help us become more selfless and more Christ-like. Assure your children that marriage is God's kind gift, and it comes to us filled with his blessing. Marriage can bring joy to adults and security to kids. But most importantly, marriage is an up-close display of the forever love of Jesus for his church, whom he calls his bride. Teach your kids to love, your, love their spouse by the way you love your spouse. So it demonstrates to them how Christ loves his church and gives them a passion and a desire to love the church as well. Number three, teach them to love themselves. What? Pastor Tully really just say that? Doesn't the Bible teach us to never think of ourselves? Always put others' needs before our own? Well, Let's look at two ways to teach your kids to love themselves quickly with a proper placement. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. So when you're loving yourself, do it in the proper placement. Teach your kids that the world doesn't revolve around them. Teach them, show them the needs in the world around them. Needs with people that you know. Loving yourself with proper placements means that you serve others, you do for others, you demonstrate that to your kids. Serve together, and not just at times when it's most convenient for you. The more you serve others together, the more your kids will learn and understand what it truly means to be humble. And over time, loving others in practical ways will become second nature to them. They won't ask, let me know if you need anything, but instead, they will just do something to help. Love yourself with proper placement. Love yourself with a proper value. Value. 
As we read earlier, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made your works and wondrous. And I know this very well. It's impossible to truly love others if you hate yourself. Like I mentioned earlier, loving yourself with proper placement means that you serve others. You do for others, but you don't hate yourself. You don't belittle yourself. You are created by God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not worthless. You are not unimportant. You are loved by God and you have value. Children need to see themselves from God's viewpoint. They are loved. They are valued. They are esteemed. Say to them that, hey, you are special to God. You are special to me and you are special to God. The Bible says that God loves you so much that he counted every hair on your head. Tell your kids that you love them often. Encourage them. Point out their strengths. But ultimately, you should remind them of their value to Jesus. We can remind children that God loved them enough to pay the highest price for them, his son's life. Our worth is determined by whatever price someone is willing to pay whenever we feel worthless, used up, or less than. We all need the reminder, and our kids need the reminder, that God paid the highest price for each of us, his son. This world doesn't do a very good job most of the time of building up. In the culture of social media, it's much easier to tear down than to build up. Build up your kids. Teach them that they have value, that they are important. They're not worthless. As children grasp that their worth is not rooted in how they perform or what others think about them, but in their relationship with God and what God says about them, they'll begin to love themselves with a proper value. In teaching all of these things, plus many other truths, we need the illuminating work of the Spirit as we instill the truths of God's Word in the hearts and minds of our children. We need the sustaining work of the Spirit as we walk with our children through highs and lows, valleys and mountains, pointing them to God and His goodness at every turn. We need the wisdom of the Spirit as we rely on His guidance to show us the best way to apply truths to the children's hearts. We need to show our kids that we rely on God's help and guidance. There's no sense in trying to train our kids to trust in God if what we model for them is that we trust in our parenting instead. This proverb, placed in context of the whole Bible, is telling us that we should take the training of our children seriously. You can't save them, but you're still called to present them with the truth. It's telling us to trust God, who gave us this proverb, the God that all of our parenting points to. In Him, not in our parenting, we place our hopes for our children and their salvation. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the time we had this morning where parents could come up and dedicate themselves to raising their kids the way God intended. God, I pray for them once again that you'll keep them strong, you'll keep them faithful. You'll bless their marriages. You'll keep their marriages strong. And I pray for salvation 
of all those kids, every one of them, that you will do great things in their lives. God, I thank you for this verse in Proverbs, that we can understand it and know that even though it's not a guarantee that our kids will grow up to love you, we must do everything we can to present them with, our, with the truth. That's our responsibility as parents, to show them who you are, to teach them to read your word, teach them to pray, to live out our faith in front of them. It's not easy. It's tough work. We're going to fail. But I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Help us to demonstrate that to our kids as well. That in our mistakes, you are there. God, we love you. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.